We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. So I want to start today with uh, an apology because the titles I sent out in the email was Hindus and Heaven, and we're not going to get to that until the very end. And honestly, we're not even going to fully get to that even at the end. I had a hard time figuring out what to leave out in today's lesson because so many good thoughts and only 2,300 words. That's what you get on a Sunday. So here's what you're going to hear today about that title. You're going to hear the groundwork for not answering the question. (laughs) The groundwork for why it's an unanswerable question. Okay, so I started this lesson looking to see if we could redeem that song that we've been singing, that feather-ruffling song, our Easter song. So, the song is based on a story. It's a story about Jesus near the end of his life. And wanting to learn this song as a first step to learning how to sing harmony together, expanding our capacity as a communal singing church, uh, we also took up this song, this lesson, because the song lends itself to a much larger discussion than the song. The song we saw surfaces three problems. Not only problems with the song, but really problems with organized Christianity. I've been calling these the jangly parts of religion. I said I hoped that if we could redeem these three, uh, we could also outline a path for redeeming some very significant problems faced by our tradition, very significant problems uh, faced by organized Christianity. So if you missed the uh, initial lesson, you can have a listen online. Today I want to talk more about that first one, uh, church or churchy. Can we redeem church as a concept? Our starting, con- our starting point last week was why. Why would anybody want to uh, redeem this institution that has grown so hurtful and for many even toxic? Uh, it's been the source of so much pain for so many. Why would we? Wouldn't it be easier to just scrap the whole thing, let it die under its own weight, and move on to whatever comes next? I want to talk about that today. And in order to talk about that, I want to introduce you, or if you were here in 2014, I want to reintroduce you to this guy. His name is James Fowler, and he wrote a book called Stages of Faith. It would be a good thing for you to Google. Uh, You don't have to read the book. Uh, The book is thick, dense. It's kind of an academic book. It's filled with lots of research done over a lot of years. Uh, But you can Google the six stages very easily. So he did all this extensive research, and he developed a stage theory, how faith develops. Faith, uh, the stages that we go through on our journey. So Fowler is to faith what Piaget is to cognitive development. Six stages, how faith emerges in human beings. Now, this is not Christian human beings. Uh, This is not Buddhists or Jews or Hindus. It's how human beings in any faith tradition develop over time. And I hope you'll see 
that it's kind of an important framework for understanding, conceptualizing what it would be like if we were to redeem church, if we were to redeem organized religion. Some of us grew up in organized religion. We'll know exactly what Fowler is talking about. Some of us did not. And even if you did not, I think you'll recognize the patterns and I think you'll see that the framework can provide for us a roadmap to tell us uh, where we've been, to tell us what's coming up, and to tell us what we ought to be working on. So let's do a quick skim of the early stages because they are pretty familiar territory even if you didn't walk through them. Undifferentiated, the first one there, it's not really a stage, it's what infants pick up about reality that later informs everything, including spirituality. Is this world safe or dangerous? Infants will pick that up. Can I trust or no? Can I hope or no? Uh, these will shape faith as it emerges, but they'll faith, uh, shape a lot of other things as well. So this is a pre-stage to faith development. So the first stage then becomes childhood faith. Fowler's word for it is actually intuitive projective. Uh, it usually happens when a child is in preschool age. The child imitates the parent in uh, matters of faith. The child believes uncritically. Religious concepts become fodder for the child's imagination, often without editing. The literal stage happens during the school age years. The child learns the stories, learns the beliefs and the morals and the rules, and they are in the child's mind absolutes because God has said or mom has said or dad has said, and because it has been said, it is right, it is true. The child accepts literally, uncritically. The conventional stage usually happens during adolescence. Uh, now something becomes right and good and true because the group, not just mom and dad, but now the group has said it is right and good and true. At that stage, we begin to define ourselves in the group by the conventions of the group. I am in this group, and we are this way. We do these things. We believe and we act these ways. In this stage, I do because we do. In the conventional stage, we don't examine the belief system. We don't stand outside of it and look at it. We follow it pretty uncritically. So again, just if you know about human development, those stages are pretty easy to get our heads around, even if you didn't grow up in a religious system. Now, you notice that I made the next stage orange and called it the chaos faith stage. The real name is individual reflective faith, but when I went through it, it felt like chaos, so I called it that. Usually happens in early adulthood, sometimes given how our tradition is framed, it can be delayed in its onset until later, but often it will happen in early adulthood. At this stage, we begin to do just that, but we didn't do in the conventional stage. We stand outside the tradition and we start looking at it. We feel the weight of decision, asking ourselves, am I this? Uh, do I that? Are these my commitments? Are these my beliefs? Are these my practices? And we often ask during this stage, what about the hard stuff, the stuff we haven't been saying out loud? Is God really loving? Because come on, look around. Are you sure? Uh, virgin, having a baby? Uh, uh, what about chemistry, this water into wine uh, thing? I just don't know. And a lick and a promise 
won't do anymore. The authority of mom and dad, the authority of the group just won't do anymore. It's an uncomfortable stage, but here's the thing. Uncomfortable though it is, it's a significant, developmental, important stage. We actually don't move forward on our faith journey if we don't challenge the faith that we inherited. But it's hard, this chaos stage. Uh, when we are in a tradition, but then reject this part of it or that part of it, by proxy, we are kind of rejecting our people. And that's emotionally very difficult. In a way, we are leaving behind those who have loved us, which feels lonely. And it feels isolated. It feels like a significant loss. So, lots of bad feelings go with stage four. We feel alienation. We feel rejecting of the tradition or of the thoughts or of the ideas, but we also feel rejected by the tradition. Sometimes we feel anger. Often we feel disillusionment. Beliefs that were once a source of solid and secure comfort get all wobbly. They get unsolid. They start to feel insecure. Now, nobody likes Fowler's stage four because it's scary and ugly, it's very disorienting, and yet it is deeply embedded in every tradition. Think of the stories that you might have heard in our own tradition about the wilderness or about exile or about isolation or about wandering or why have you forsaken me? Those stories are there because stage four is part of the spiritual life, part of the spiritual journey. But it is uncomfortable. It is painful. It is frightening. And so consequently, because people don't like it, it's not uncommon for people to try and avoid it. And often try to avoid it by jumping back into stage three, conventional faith. Doubling down on things that, used, that I used to do when I did feel secure, when I did feel comfortable, when I did feel rock solid. What were the things that I did? We go back and we do more of that. We do more reading or we do more praying or we do more devouting. Whatever it is that we were doing that made us feel secure, we do more of it. Or rather than jump back, it's also not uncommon, to abandon the whole thing and to walk away and say, I guess this isn't for me anymore because I just can't believe it anymore. But both of those very common responses actually thwart the developmental process of faith. One of the grievances that I have with my own tradition This has been six weeks now. Golly. <coughs> One of the grievances that I have with my own tradition is how little they prepared me for this part of the journey. How they didn't actually prepare me, they actually anti-prepared me. They told me not to go to stage four. They could have at least told me it was coming, or even better, given me tools to go through it, or at least just normalized that it was okay. Uh, preparation for which, by the way, you lucky people get in bushel baskets because your preacher man gives it to you all day long. As God is my witness, I swore I will never do that to people. <clears throat> this really uncomfortable stage is part of the spiritual life. And it's part of how we get to significant 
deep transformation. It turns out all of that chaos and all of that discomfort is essential. The pain strips away the scaffolding that religion built for us. The very scaffolding that was essential in those earlier stages that helped us get to the place where we could start the deconstruction process, that scaffolding got us to this place that we could then begin to have the strength to begin to tear that scaffolding down. But here's the beautiful part. On the other side of chaos faith, we no longer have a second-hand spirituality. We emerge into first-hand spirituality. Now, one more time, I've said it, a tradition is a tradition because it lasts. And it lasts, yes, because it has truth and beauty, all that stuff I've talked about. But it also lasts, a tradition is a tradition and lasts because it has embedded in it this roadmap. These essential components that move a human soul forward on a spiritual journey. If we don't bail, if we don't go back, ours becomes a spirituality of direct encounter with the interior light. Ours becomes a spirituality of every one of us carriers of the inner light. We become, our bodies do, our minds do, our souls, our beings become the presence of God on this good earth. Those are ethereal words. What do they even mean? They are the attempts of those who've gone before us to try and put into words an experience that doesn't really fit into words. Paul tried describing it this way. He said in 2 Corinthians, you, could have been speaking to us, are a letter. You're a letter that's been written from God to the world, but not words that are written with ink and not words that have been carved into stone. These are words written on human hearts, your human heart, my human heart. Now, Fowler calls emerging into that part of faith conjunctive faith. And it happens, but it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen a lot. After that, there is the universalized faith, the last one, and that is even less common. It happens very, very rarely. So for simplicity, just for this morning, let's talk about both of those things combined and call them the everything is connected stage of faith. Because it turns out that the chaos of stage four is like a cocoon for a butterfly. By struggling against it, unbeknownst to us, we are struggling against secondhand spirituality, secondhand faith a faith that someone else, someone who loved us, gave to us. The struggle itself prepares us to eventually fly. The darkness of this dark stage compels us to seek out light, and we find it. The dryness of this dry stage compels us to seek out moisture, and we find it. Stage four is a death of sorts. It's a giving up. It's an abandoning, and it clears away that very scaffolding I mentioned that got us to the place so that we can get to the other side and reach the interior divine spirituality that was always in us. We just weren't prepared for. Also, go through this process, and we come to see the light is in me, yes, but ah, who knew? 
It's also in you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of the you's that I previously thought of as them. The everything connected stage helps us begin to see and live in that word conjuncted, conjunctive, the conjoining of everything. Jesus said we are conjoined with, he used the phrase, one with God. Paul told us that we are conjoined with, one with each other. After the chaos of stage four, after the emotionally demanding process of letting go of everything that we thought was true, the everything that was secondhand, everything that was given to us, after we let it go, painful, remember, after we let go of church, after we let go of mosque, after we let go of synagogue, after we let go of temple, who knew we discover on the other side what in a moment I'm going to call the contemplative center. One with God, one with each other, one with every rock and every tree, every bridge and every bank. We come out of the slew of despond that is stage four, and we are prepared to experience our connection with everything. We come to trust the light within, trust the interior voice. Yes, we consult with other people, and yes, we listen to other people, and yes, we engage with the community, and we read, and we listen to podcasts, but what changes is what we're listening for. We're not listening for the truth that the guru will now give us. We're not listening to the truth that the preacher, brilliant as the preacher might be, is giving us. We're not looking for the one and true truth from an external source. We're looking for what people say, scanning for that moment when the interior light awakens within us and says, yes, that's for you, that's for now. We're listening for that interior spark. That's the part for me. We also, when we get past the chaos stage, start to see that my sectarian view, even my own religion, is not big enough to contain everything is connected. What gets included in religion is much bigger than what my religion had included. So, that's Fowler. Thank you, Fowler, for all this great research. He did it in the 70s, published in the 80s. It's been an incredible gift to people on the spiritual journey. We owe him. Now, here's why it matters. <coughs> here's why it informs why I think it's a very desirable thing to try our best to redeem church, to redeem organized religion. Because we need, in our world, more people getting to everything is connected faith. We need it to not be rare, to not be uncommon. We need it to be a normalized part of faith development. And we especially need to stop having our religion get us there in spite of the religion as opposed to because of the religion. Of all the institutions that are going on on the planet right now, religion has the best track record of getting people to everything is connected faith. Organized Christianity on the other side of this reformation that we go are going through, it will have to be reformed to take human beings there. 
it will have to be reformed so that this stripping down and rebuilding process that happens to the human soul is supported and strengthened and encouraged and we are led into everything is connected faith. To deconstruct and reconstruct until our religion captures the experience, that's our job in our generation. To build the systems and the practices that will take people step by step by step by step into everything is connected faith. And if you're paying attention, you see we are working our hardest as a community to build patterns that do just that. Now here's something that those who've gone before us write back and tell us. They tell us that after people go through this chaos faith stage, when they start to emerge into the everything is connected faith stage, they often have a head slap moment. Oh, that's what the tradition was trying to say. Oh, that's what those words meant. How, how did I miss that? We all carry developmental filters. We all are at a certain stage of development. And that stage, nothing good about that, nothing bad about that. It's just an is. And what happens is those, f those filters screen out things that we might see were those filters not in place. The tradition might have been saying all along, everything is connected. By the way, the tradition has been saying all along, everything is connected. But until our brains are ready, until our community's collective brains are ready, we're not going to be able to heal here. We'll just keep filtering out whatever doesn't fit into our expectations. But stay the course. Don't bail out. Don't revert back. And we start to realize, uh, like kids when they hit their 20s start to realize, oh, I guess the parents weren't so stupid after all. <laughs> Ah, the tradition has been trying to tell me that all along. Oh, I'm so sorry, tradition, for the ugly that I put you through. <laughs> I just happen to say that because that's what my kids have come to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry for what I put you through. Now I understand. On the other side of chaos, we come back to the stories. And we come back to the images. And we come back to the language. Because now we can see them differently. We are now comfortable with paradox as a form of truth. We are now comfortable with uncertainty as a form of truth. We are now comfortable with myth and with metaphor. I have a vivid memory, but I'm a little suspicious of this vivid memory. <laughs> because in this memory, I am in my daughter's room and I am reading a book sitting at her little desk, which is looking out the window. I suspect that my memory has conflated when that room used to be my office and when it turned into her room because there would be no reason why I'd be sitting at her desk reading my book. But anyway, I'm suspicious of me sitting in my daughter's room. But in my head, I'm not suspicious of this. I know what I was doing. I was reading the letters of Paul. In particular, I was reading the book of Romans. Now, I went to school for this preacher thing. Yeah, I did. So I've read Paul. I've read a lot of Paul. Uh, and I'm sitting there in this memory reading this stuff, but this time I am flabbergasted. And I am thinking to myself, what? I thought Paul was a doctrine guy. Book of Romans, for goodness sakes. I thought that was all about what we do, when we do it, how we do it, what's supposed to. I thought he was giving us the definitive word of God. That's what I grew up believing. 
Now I'm reading Paul and I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's a mystic. This guy just sounds just like Teresa of Avila. He sounds just, oh my God, how did I miss this? Now, Paul didn't change and the texts didn't change. I changed. That's the kind of thing that happens on the spiritual journey on the other side of the chaos stage of faith. The ancient words and the ancient images and the ancient stories, the ones we had to kick against in order to break down the scaffolding, those become beautiful once again. And the reason is because we change. Ah, how did I miss that? It was always there. So, a good reason to redeem the institution of religion, to redeem the institution of church. It has scaffolding that we need when we are young. We don't fully uh, understand what's going on, and so here is a structure that we need. We don't realize what it's trying to tell us, but it's telling us something that we need. Another reason is, as that needs to be broken down, religion is also elastic enough to expand as we expand and to keep giving us what we need as our needs change. In fact, religion can act as the engine that drives the next step of growth and the next step of growth and the next step and to point us and to keep pointing us to the next and the next and the next. Another reason to redeem religion Another reason to redeem church, you've heard me, tradition is a tradition because it lasts, but not every religious impulse lasts. Not every religious concept lasts. There are five, five major religious traditions. There are three Abrahamic religions. There is Judaism, there is Christianity, there is Islam. There are two Vedic traditions. There is uh, Buddhism, there is Hinduism. And the top one, the F, that is folk religions. It's kind of a catch-all category for a whole bunch of religions. Now these have lasted. And to last, what do you need? Truth and beauty. We talked about that. To last, what do you need? We've talked about that. You need Fowler's Roadmap. And these have lasted. They're still here. These have the institutional scaffolding to support us in the early stages of the journey to take us to the orange dot, to the chaos stage of the journey, to deconstruct and strip down and to help us emerge into the other side, the contemplative center. Like our own tradition, in many ways, these religious institutions, they have also lost their way. Uh, I talk to their leaders from time to time. They are having to find their way again, just like we are having to find our way. But at the core, they are, like us, having, they have an experience of support for the early stages of faith. They have, like we do, a chaos stage where we strip it all away. They have, like we have, a moving into the contemplative center stage where they merge into everything is connected spirituality. Here's something I noticed a long time ago, I think it was probably in my 40s when I noticed that I was reading at the same time some Christian mystics and I was reading some Buddhist monks 
and I was listening to them how they were talking about spirituality. And what struck me as I was reading is that they both were using the same words and used with the, were using on the same images, and they were trying to describe a reality that we know doesn't really fit into words, but they were hitting on the same kind of metaphors to try and describe that reality. Because it turns out, a Buddhist and a Christian who arrive in the contemplative center, having gone through this process that is so difficult, they have a lot more in common with each other than either one of them has in common with the pre-chaos folks in their own tradition. As we move to the contemplative center, we start to realize that we share more in common than we have differences. But that creates a problem. And here's the problem. Here's why redeeming church, redeeming religion is so important. It's why it's the, the mission that's set before our generation. In the West, because we are going through this time of seismic worldview change, all of our social institutions that were built for a worldview that is rapidly disappearing, all those social institutions, they're all malfunctioning. Government is malfunctioning. Education is, family is, business is, and religion is malfunctioning. It's a bigger picture. It's important to understand where we fit in that picture, but we're a spiritual community, so our concern is when religious institutions are malfunctioning. In our context, in forming our mission, as the Christian tradition is malfunctioning, Christian people are beginning to feel threatened by what we're losing. And unfortunately, under that threat, we've kind of fixated on defending stage three, defending the conventions. We actually discourage our people from moving forward and undertaking stage four. So malfunction. And in times of malfunction, there's brittleness, and there's anger, and there's fearfulness, malfunctioning religious institutions. And so the world looks around and knows that, looks at us and says, yeah, those people, they, they are malfunctioning. Consequently, people are not opting in to a religious tradition. They're not opting into Christianity or Islam or any of the traditions that we've listed. More and more people are simply just staying out on the periphery because who wants malfunctioning institutions? More and more people don't choose a path. Instead, more and more people are smorgasbording their faith. Google Docs did not approve of that word. <laughs> it said I had misspelled it. <laughs> more and more people are cherry-picking their favorite stuff. Ooh, I like a little karma. Karma is cool. Ooh, I like a little bit of social justice. Social justice is cool. Ooh, community. I really like that whole community part that religion's got going. The rest of that stuff? No, I don't want any of that stuff. <laughs> and not surprisingly, most folks don't want Fowler's stage four. <laughs> most people don't want all of that discomfort, all that discouragement, all that anxiety. Consequently, more and more people live outside of any tradition, do not choose Fowler's stages of faith. Just don't choose four. They don't choose the process. 
More and more people do not experience the scaffolding that is important when they're in their childhood. More and people do not experience the chaos and the struggle as they begin to grow. More, more and more people do not throw off secondhand faith and emerge into firsthand faith. Fewer and fewer people reach the contemplative center because chaos, who wants it? <laughs> we choose to go to the moon not because it is easy, but because it is hard. <laughs> That's kind of what Fowler is saying. <laughs> His research says to us it is hard to stay in a tradition. It is hard to struggle against the cocoon. It is hard to fly. It's hard to shift from secondhand to firsthand spirituality. Now, it's doubly hard for our generation. Because we're not just doing Fowler hard, we are, but we're also doing deconstructing, reconstructing every 500 years hard. And church is much, much more than the hollowed out shell that we see now. Church is roadmap. Church is scaffolding. Church is guardrails. Church is whispers of truth when we can't hear truth. Church is support in the times of chaos. It's support for others, and it's support that we would give to others. And our world desperately needs that process to be restored. There's no way we're ever going to get out of this shallow way that we have been living, where we are so gullible to the marketing machine, to the political outrage machine, to all the shit that's going on in our world that isn't going to stop until the people are transformed from within, until we are transformed from within. So we need this social institution, organized religion. We need church to be healthy. We need it to be what it is designed to be because we need to go where this process is designed to take us. I have lived my whole life inside this process. The conventional stage for me was very, very good for me, just like school was also very, very good for me because both provided for me a window into a world that was much healthier than my very unhealthy family system. And maybe because it was so good for me during the conventional stage, the chaos stage was particularly difficult for me. It was accompanied with deep loss and anxiety, years of depression and pain. And spending my whole life going through this process, I have loved the tradition and I have hated it. I have shaken my fist at this tradition and I have been transformed in it. What I said last week is true. I know more about the malfunctioning of this malfunctioning institution than I bet any one of us do. And yet still I am standing here contending for the health and the recovery of the redemption of this institution because our society needs us to be healthy. Doesn't need any more of what we've been doing. Had plenty of it. But we need to be transformed into our healthy state. I was in my 20s. I knew earlier that I was going to be a minister, but I res resented the idea and resisted the process that would have taken me there because, you know, institutional malfunction. Who wants to be part of that? But on a day, I had a semi-mystical experience. And I say semi because stripped down, what it really was was just thought thinking. But it was also different from thought thinking. 
different enough that I needed to explain it to myself after the fact, so I imagined the experience this way, a meaning-making story, I told myself. I had a conversation with God. Now again, it wasn't la that, but it was different and enough from normal thought thinking that it wasn't not that. <laughs> if it had been a conversation, it would have gone something like this, God. So, you want to ignore this impulse that you feel inside of you to become a minister, huh? Me. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you seen church? It is ugly out there. <laughs> God. Yep, I get that. And here's the thing. You could do something else and it would be okay. But I'd like to ask you a favor. Now again, it wasn't like that. But it was gentle. And I did know I had options. And I did know I didn't have to do this. God, but here's what I'd like. I'd like you to stay. I'd like you to stay and repair what's broken. Would you do that? And I said yes on that day. It was a crossroad moment, and I said yes to this, to what we are becoming. I didn't understand everything that was going to be involved. I didn't understand that it wasn't always going to be the sick and toxic way that it was. I didn't understand this moment in history. I didn't understand what it means to have our own reformation. I couldn't see all the rethinking and all the reimagining, all the stripping down and all the rebuilding. I do now. I would do it again, but I didn't see that then. Now I understand what we've been doing. I understand what we've been stumbling our way forward into. <coughs> we've been doing that. We've been doing the restoration of this process for human beings. Church exists to support you and to support me on our developmental journeys. I am not unaware the church has often acted as an impediment to those very spiritual journeys. I get that. But that's why religion, that's why church needs to be redeemed. I also understand now what I didn't understand then. Here's what we've been doing. This. History is requiring of our moment the work of deconstructing and reconstructing our version of organized religion. Church. The others, they've got their own reformations to have. That's not that going to be on them. We have to think about the work before us. Rebuilding the scaffolding and the support for our young people. Repaving the pathway so that they can find their way through each one of those stages of faith so that our children and our grandchildren will have a path to follow that if they will follow it, will help them emerge into the contemplative center, will help them attain to everything is connected faith. If we do our work, conjunctive faith, Everything is connected faith won't be rare in their lifetimes. It won't be reserved for a rarefied few saints and sages. If we do our work emerging into the contemplative center, the everything is connected spirituality will become a normal part of faith. It's in the process. It's there for us to have. For goodness sakes, the developmental process already exists. Why is it so rare that only a few should get to go there? We can build a church that will take our children there. 
We can build a religious system and norms and practices that will take us there. We can normalize the process by which human beings emerge into the highest human purpose, the contemplative center where we live in and where we live from the divine center. Not just us, our kids and their kids. Ours is the work of the Reformation, the work of rebuilding the systems and structures that support us on the human quest to be our highest, most evolved selves. Spiritual development. Next week is Easter. <coughs> Sorry. Next week I'll talk about that third one, that third jangly part, uh, the afterlife part. Because it turns out, if we're going to redeem our religion, we're going to have to start by redeeming our afterlife narrative. Uh, it's an essential part of coming to understand what is uh, healthy religion. That's when you're going to hear about cancer patients in psilocybin trials. <laughs> but we can't really talk about that until we first see the whole point of the spiritual journey. The point of religious community. The point of Fowler's stage process is to help one another arrive at the contemplative center. We can't redeem our afterlife story, nor the very concept of church, if we stay in the literal stage of faith or the conventional stage of faith. We have to emerge into the everything is connected stage of faith. If you don't know this word, maybe this week it would be a good homework assignment to read up on it. Read up on the term or the word non-dualism. I think we can redeem the afterlife, and I think we can find deep truth and beauty. I think we can redeem church. I think we can restore the process that will help us help our children reach the contemplative center. So in dwelling divine, may we. May we be redeemers of what has been lost. May we emerge into what is before us. Amen. Well, if you would, please uh, prepare your offerings. We all give online now, remembering what I say uh, all the time. There is good return when we invest in community. When we invest in community, we give our time and our energy. We give our love. We give our dollars. The uh, community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives us back, give them back to us in the form of an environment in which we thrive. So again, online, everybody gives there now. Um, so in a moment, I'm just gonna open the floor, we're gonna talk. Uh, I'm gonna ask you what you're thinking. Before we do that, so that I don't forget, when this is over, here's what we've gotta remember. Get your kids. Then get your kids and take them outside. Then after you get them outside, make sure they don't pick up the eggs yet. <laughs> There are bubbles for them to play with to keep them entertained until it's time. And when Shelby says pick up the eggs, then they pick up the eggs. After that, have food and have fun. And again, if you forgot food, I got a box of nut bars. All right? All right, what are you thinking about? What is stirring up in your heart? Oh, we got to dismiss the other people. God bless you all. You're dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.